I could invite you, could you take your Bibles to 1 Samuel 23? I'm going to ask uh, Rachel Sproul to come up and read 1 Samuel chapter 23. She'll begin reading in verse 1. 1 Samuel 23, 1-14. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock, and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, Please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul saw him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Thank you so much, Rachel. Maybe you've had an experience like I've had where you look at some old pictures or maybe an old yearbook and you see yourself pictured with a person or two or three. And it strikes you because even as you look at the old picture you realize that your life and their life have, have really gone down two very different paths. Your lives look differently maybe than what they looked like when that picture was taken. It's not necessarily that you think your life's superior, but it is clear you've made a different set of decisions than they've made. And, and maybe the picture strikes you because at one point in time you were great friends, but... Now you might not even have that much in common. You've gone your way and he's gone his or she's gone hers. And it just looks very, very different. I I, I want to talk about that this morning, about two very different ways to live your life. And we have a picture of that in scripture and we're going to spend some time looking at it. Two people heading in very different directions. But before we dig into the life of David again, I want to remind you of a scripture. You, You actually may know it pretty well. It's a a fairly familiar one. 
So Proverbs 3, verse 5, says this, and this kind of sets up this different direction, right? So trust in the Lord with all your heart. And here's the other direction. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. You notice the contrast set up? The contrast set up between trusting in the Lord and leaning on our own understanding. Being wise in our own eyes and in all our ways acknowledging him, fearing the Lord. Do you, you see the contrast? That, that means life is going to head in some different directions. And we don't have time to rehearse all the details of the story of of David and Saul. This is week number seven where we've been looking at the life of David. But in those seven weeks, we have seen Saul and David heading in very, very different directions. Saul is the current king, and yet his heart is very disobedient, and he's rejecting God, and that's taking him further and further and further away from God. But at the same time, we're watching David, and David is not perfect by any stretch. He's not super spiritual. He's not super pious. But we do see something in David as he is devoted to God. He has a deep faith in God. He has deep conviction and love for the word of God. He has strong sensitivity to the voice of God and the direction of God. And he is, he's going in that direction. So David and Saul are going in very, very different places. And what I want to do this morning is to look at their lives and actually ask you to mark where you are in your life. It's one thing to look at their directions, but I want you to evaluate and assess where you are and what direction you are going We've said over several weeks that David's is a story of grace. And one of the ways we see David enjoying God's grace, certainly in this passage, is that David experiences access to God. So if we're we're understanding what grace is, unmerited favor and God's transforming power, one of the ways David tastes that grace is that he experiences access from God. And and don't take my word for it. Did you see it in the text? I mean, Rachel read it a moment ago. So four times he prays to the Lord. In verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 10, verse 11, he inquires of the Lord. He asks the Lord. Four times he goes to the Lord in prayer. He goes to God and accesses God our Father. And four times God speaks to him and answers David had prophets of God speaking to him. He is hearing from God. He has access to God. David has a a priest with him. And it's said in verse 6, we read it a moment ago, the the ephod, which a part of the priestly robe was, was connected to this ephod, and it symbolized the guidance and direction and presence of God. We know from Psalms, this is a time where David was crying out to the Lord, where he was looking at his life, which was pretty rough. And he was taking each one of those concerns and he was taking them to the Lord. This is that time. He has access to God and he was using it. He was crying out to the Lord. Sometimes we may have the wrong idea of prayer. Maybe you even grew up in a religious environment where prayer was kind of going through the motions. You know, you You take your vitamins and you say your prayers. And that's about all it meant to you. 
It had about that, that level of depth to you. David is not just going through emotions. This is about a relationship that David has with God, and it's so personal. So he's bringing God to bear on what he is experiencing. He's carrying on dialogue with the Lord. Lord, what's next? What do you want me to do? What should I be looking for? And this kind of prayer, this kind of access to God, I don't mean to imply that it's easy. It's not. It isn't always clear what our next step should be. David doesn't always get exactly what he wants. God is no genie as if he just asked it and all of a sudden God magically makes stuff appear. That's not the way it works. You don't read that in the story, but David does receive guidance when he asks the Lord for it. He does receive strength. He even receives correction when he's going off the path. This is access to God and God caring for him. He receives renewal and Again, notice the direction, because if David is enjoying and experiencing access to God as he prays, what you don't find in Saul is any sort of bent toward inquiring or talking to God. Oh, he'll bring up God's name, but it's almost used in a vain way. Even in in verse 7 of this chapter, he thinks... Well, it seems like David's got himself all jammed up in this city. And it must be that God's going to help me get David finally. And so he invokes the name of God, but this is no relationship. It's just the God that's convenient to mention when Saul's plans seem like they're going to take place. Saul does not have access to God. He's not using it. What he's left with is his own resources, his own intuition. You might say his own understanding or being wise in his own eyes. That's all he's got. So when he's trying to capture David, what, what, he, what does he do? He, he knows David is like elusive and he knows David gets out of things. And so he, he, he says to the people who are trying to capture him, you got to watch this guy. I mean, he's cunning and he, he'll surprise you. And that's all he's got is his own intuition He couldn't even interpret things rightly. He's left at the mercy of giving orders and warnings and telling people to look carefully and his life looks so different than David. He doesn't lack for advisors or counsel, I would think. He's the king. He can get whatever he wants. But he doesn't access God. He doesn't pray to him. He's left to like whatever's in front of him just trying to navigate it the best he can. This past uh, a couple days ago, I was driving on some of the back roads that you find yourself in this area in uh, in Pennsylvania, and the the roads I was driving in, I know these roads fairly well, but the person in front of me did not know the roads so well. Uh, Florida tag, I'm I'm kind of guessing this was their first rodeo on these roads, and how different you drive when you kind of know what's going on. Uh, I tend to like to go on the faster side of things rather than the slower side of things. And so when you know, yeah, that turn, I mean, we probably don't have to drop it down to 10 miles an hour to make this turn. Like, it's not that sharp a one. And of course, I'm giving this uh, driver guidance and my wife's having to listen to me give him guidance. Because that driver's unfamiliar with the road ahead and it's best left to his own intuition. So we're pumping the brake lights every three feet, it seems like, just to make sure we don't end up... That, that is the way life goes without any sort of guidance. You're kind of left flying blind. Whatever you see, you, you really don't know what's around the bend and you don't 
know someone who knows what's around the bend. So you're flying that way, you're driving blind. Where, where are you spiritually? Do you feel like you're without access to God? Do you feel like it's, it's been a while since there's been any sort of communication there? And, and just, for, just for clarity, I don't mean to imply you just need to get a little bit of God in your life and get back on track with things. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. Because God's not going to be a life coach for you. It's going to give you a few mantras to live by. To be true to yourself, follow your heart, what's right for you must be right. God's not going to do that. This is God. This is God who creates everything. This is God who designed this world to work in a certain way. So when I talk about access to him, I do, I, I'm not trivializing that in the least. He is so wise, he knows how everything was meant to work. And he's eternal, so he's seen all the foolish ways that humans could do something. And he's good, so he's not playing games with us as humans. He cares about us. He loves us. And so when I mean access to him isn't access to this kind of God, the God who made us, the God who loved us, the God who redeemed us, isn't that kind of access priceless? We could be and should be enjoying more of God's grace, and maybe you're not because you haven't really listened that well to even Jesus Christ himself saying, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. Or maybe other words of scripture like pray without stopping. Pray always. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's, that's the kind of access I'm talking about. We have access to God in Jesus. And when we pray, we pray very deliberately in the name of Jesus because Jesus came in the flesh as a human to open wide the way of access for us. He died on the cross in our place. He is our mediator to God. He's our mediator to the Father. And he rose from the dead, and now he's seated in heaven at the right hand of God. And we're told he is there at the right hand of God. And yes, he is running the universe, and he's upholding it with the word of his power. But he is also living there to be our intercessor. He's living there to be our advocate. He is there as our high priest. He's bringing us to God. We have that kind of access. What will you do with it? Will prayer take on any more of a priority this week? Because you have this kind of access. You see David inquiring of the Lord and you see Saul not inquiring of the Lord. Can we continue our reading in chapter 23? A moment ago, Rachel read to verse 14. Let's keep reading in verse 15 and see more of the grace that David received. In verse 15, it says, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And Jonathan said to David, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, he knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh. Jonathan went home. David not only experienced access to God, but he also experienced encouragement from God. 
He experienced encouragement from God. The backdrop of this couldn't be more clear. Saul had come out to seek David's life in verse 15. But in the middle of this, in the middle of Saul trying to find David, Jonathan somehow finds David. He gets through Saul's soldiers and and David's men as well and finds David. And he goes to him and he encourages him. Particularly the wording is he strengthened his hand in God. So other translations, if you had the Christian standard, it says he encouraged him in his faith in God. Or the New American Standard says he encouraged him in God. The New Living Translation, he encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. And the NIV says he helped him find strength in God. I love that phrase. Helped him find strength in God. For David, this must have been just so like the right thing at the right time. He had to be near despair. He's been running for his life for weeks, months, years. I I don't know the timeline exactly. And in his running and in his fleeing and in his escaping and in his waiting, I will wait for you, I will wait for you, God sends encouragement in the form of a, a friend named Jonathan. And Jonathan's first words, did you notice his first words? It's that encouragement, that exhortation that comes so often to God's people in tough times. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't be overwhelmed with anxiety. God brings that word to him. How often do we need to hear this? It wasn't that long ago that life was getting a little bit crazy and had a friend tell me, you don't need to panic. You don't need to panic. Don't be afraid. Jonathan says, David, God is protecting you. My dad's not going to find you. He says that God is with you and God is for you. You're going to be the next king. What David needed to hear were the promises and purposes of God. That's what we need. That's the spiritual reality that we need to help us face Tomorrow, much less today. This is what can help us deal with our fears, which are are very real at times. By the way, things don't immediately get easier for David. So it's not as if Jonathan's just blowing smoke, that it's, you know, it's it's all going to get better, David. He, He doesn't say that. Actually, things remain pretty difficult. When Jonathan leaves, David still is hiding in caves. It's not as if everything gets miraculously better, but somehow we know when Jonathan leaves, things are better in David's soul because he has encouragement that's come from God through another person. I think it's important. I I appreciated Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and and I I don't have the exact words, but the gist of, of what he says in life together is that God's word to us through another Christian is often more certain than the word of Christ in our own heart. Because sometimes in our own heart, we we just struggle with faith to believe it. But when God works outside of us, bringing God's word to us, and someone says, this is the promises of God, he won't leave you. Sometimes that word anchors us in a way, often it anchors us in a way that we just don't believe on our own. And I think of David and the encouragement he had with Jonathan, and then I look over to Saul and go, what does Saul have in this area? You tell me who's around Saul at this time. Jonathan's his own son. Jonathan's not saying these things. And and Saul doesn't even care to hear it if Jonathan were saying it. You know who Saul has around him? He has government workers on payroll. And he's the king. And he has soldiers that he drafted. 
He has informants and spies. He has a city that like the previous time he got mad, he wiped out a whole city. And so the next city, like they're walking on eggshells. We better not say anything. We'll just give up David, surely. We don't want our whole city annihilated like the previous city was. That's all Saul has around him. Chapters 23 and 24 of 1 Samuel are a story of absolute futility. It's insanity. Paul does the same, or Saul does the same thing in the same way, gets the same results. It's futile. He chases David, can't get David. Chases David, can't get David. Nowhere in his life is someone going, wait a minute. You are losing your grip on reality. You're losing your grip on wisdom. You're losing your mind. You're losing your grip on how to treat others. And, and are we learning from this? Where are you? Where are you? Can I ask frankly, where are you in having people in your life that can be God's voice to you when you need it? When life gets out of hand, when your, your parenting begins to like get a little wobbly and you don't feel quite as confident, or, or after you've blown it in an area spiritually or morally, or you have a marriage that gets rocky, or loneliness begins to eat deep at you, or you start to age, or you need a friend. When you start to drift, you start to wander, you lose grip on the commitments and the covenants that you've made. Who notices that? Who speaks to you? Who is the Jonathan that comes from the Lord and strengthens you in God, finds, gives you help in God? What investment have you made in relationships to keep your heart strong in God? God has designed us to receive encouragement. There is a community that we gather, and we gather in Jesus' name, and Jesus has designed churches like this, the the family of God like this, to be a place where we're known and loved and prayed for, confronted, corrected, and encouraged. The body works together, speaking the truth to each other, building itself in love. And so how much of a priority have you made relationships Have you started? Have you started building? Because you can't build these in a day. What effort have you made? And you say, well, I'm a private person. I don't don't really like to share much. Well, I, I don't know that, I don't know that's an excuse. Maybe an excuse, not a valid one. For why you, why you would cut yourself off from the grace of God that might come to you, the encouragement that might come to you from outside of you, Christian community, friendship, it isn't perfect, but the foundation is this. We strengthen each other in God. Who is it in your life that can speak to you in this way? What's one action step? Again, you can't build relationships that go really, really deep. You can't build those in a day, but what's one action you could do? What's one call, one text you could make, one one meal you could have, one cup of coffee that you could have, beginning to be a little bit more open than you've ever been? I I see the access David has to God when he prays, and I see the encouragement he receives from God. But I also, in this passage, kind of underlying it all, the constant theme is that David is experiencing the providence of God. The providence of God. And I want to define and, and talk more about providence, but I just want you to see the care of God. The care of God is David remains in the strongholds. And Saul, it says in chapter 23, verse 15, Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him over. The stories get, get more and more, almost more and more comical. As God keeps David one step ahead of Saul. So there's this picture in, in the end of this chapter where 
Saul's on one side of the mountain, David's on the other, and, and Saul can't find David. There, there's a picture where Saul is chasing David, and he just about has him. Right, right toward the end of this chapter, he just about has him. And then all of a sudden, newsflash, the Philistines have come, invaded Israel. Saul has to go fight the Philistines, and he can't focus on David any longer. You go even into the next chapter. Saul's looking for David. Saul's looking for David. Saul's looking for David. Goes into the caves to find David. And and it says, again, in a comical way, Saul goes into a cave, it says, Scripture, to relieve himself. And what do you know? That's the cave where David is, and Saul doesn't know it, but David knows it. I mean, the providence of God. And David could look at this like, I'm going to take him out. But David has such a grip in the, a confidence in the providence of God. He says, I'm not the one and this is not the time. He cries out to Saul and, and says, why, why do you keep chasing me? David cries out to Saul. Even it's, It almost is a picture of a, a valley and David's like yelling out, addressing Saul. Why do you keep chasing me? And in a rare moment of honesty, Saul says, you're in the right, I'm in the wrong, you're going to be king, I'm going to, I'm going to lose the kingdom. And nothing really changes. He still goes and hunts. David's still on the run in the middle of it all. David is experiencing God's providence. What do I mean by providence? A lot of different ways we could define it. I love this description by J.I. Packer. He says, the doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces fortune, chance, luck, fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned and each event comes. I love this part of the description. Each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, rejoice, knowing that all is for one spiritual and eternal good. So much there. Spend a while meditating on it. God's sovereign, God's present, God's loving, God's wise, God's eternal. David experienced the providence of God, and Saul. Saul doesn't know anything about it. Because Saul has no category for this providence of God, all he's got, church, all he's got is his own ambition, his own life goals, his own dreams, his own desires, his only pursuit of the good life. And that seems like a good strategy. You know, like you just go for it. This is America. Like we, we just go for it. If we want to, if we, we see and we want to achieve, then we just say it and we do it and we make it happen. And that seems like it all works really, really well. And even sprinkle some God talk into it if we want until, until it, it doesn't last forever. You see, Saul can direct so much of his life. He can be the master of his fate. He can be the captain of his soul, at least for a while. But then it begins to unravel. It always does. You can pursue your own life. I can pursue my own life. I can do it devoid of the Lord. It's interesting. I was listening to a a 40-minute interview of a successful athlete, and and she talked about how she just has had determination and grit, and she's reached her goals, and nothing has stopped her. And, And what struck me in the 40 minutes is it's very clear she has a worldview that does not include any help from God or any help from much of anybody. She's the hero of the story. 
And, and I admire the work that she's done, and I admire the success she has. And actually, the, the interview wasn't off-putting. It, it was interesting as I'm listening to it, but I, I think there's one person that's not been mentioned. And it's easy to talk when you're at the pinnacle of success, a world-class athlete, and say, look at all this I've achieved. What about when you have Alzheimer's? What about when you get the diagnosis or you have a, a heartbreak in your kid's life? What about an injustice that you cannot, you cannot resolve? What about when the stock market blows up and everything you'd worked for is gone? What about an exposure of your weakness and your limitation? In the end, we'll all meet our maker. And you might have a temporary strategy of, you know, I'm just going to gut it out. I'm just going to tell myself that everything happens for a reason. And you can write God out of the script of your life. On Saul's best days, he could tell him, you tell himself, I've got grit and determination. What doesn't kill me is going to make me stronger. He can go down all those roads. But in the end, what's amazing in 1 Samuel 24 is for all of Saul's grit and determination, he's begging a fugitive he's chasing that, David, would you please have mercy on me? David, will you not kill my kids when you become king? That's how pathetic and pitiful Saul, for all his strength, he's the king. For all his might, he has 3,000 soldiers. David, would you, would you just take it easy on my family? Please don't wipe them all out. Would you just let me have a name that lasts? He's consumed with jealousy, heading headlong into futile searches. He's, he's something he never, he never set out to become. And frankly, that isn't the life that humans were ever designed to live. And that is not what Christ has come to do in our lives. We weren't designed for that, not from the beginning, not since Christ has come to make all things new in Christ, in, in himself. Christians are meant to enjoy care from the Father, the providence of God looking out for us, his love. We're meant to enjoy the care from God in Jesus Christ. We're meant to enjoy the riches in Christ Jesus. Our future as Christians, our, our future is wrapped up in him. Our identity is tied up in him. We have given our lives to him. As Jesus goes, so we go. And that is exactly where we are meant to live. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus, that's the life we're meant to have. Not making our name last, not making our name great, but making his name glorious and known. And in the end, in the end, there's just a couple different ways we could live here. We can live relying on ourselves. Some of you, this may be where you are today. Or you can live entrusting your life, your future, and your direction to God relying on him for your salvation, saying yes to him. And the life that relies on him will mean access to him in prayer and encouragement from him and confidence in his providence. Isn't that what you want? Maybe even a better question, isn't that what we all need? Isn't that exactly what we were all made for? I I wonder if today is somewhat of a crossroads. I I don't know your heart, But maybe today's at a crossroads where you you see more clearly, I could trust in the Lord with all my heart, 
or I could lean on my own understanding. And I want, I want you to play out. If you were to trust in the Lord and if you were to lean on your own understanding, I want you to play those decisions out. What would the next hundred days look like if you had greater dependence on the Lord or if you had greater dependence on yourself and independence from God? What, what does that look like? What about the next thousand days? What about the next 10,000 days? What if we took the next 10 days and we lived them taking steps toward a deeper reliance and trust in God? And then the next 100 and then the next 1,000. Trust in the Lord, church, with all your heart. Let's not rely on our own understanding. Can I ask you to bow your head? I pray that God would just make whatever direction you're headed or whatever path you're on very, very clear to you. Lord, show us that. Show us the way. Point us back to Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. For the person that may have even been going through the motions but is mainly relying on themselves, I pray that you would break down our pride and our independence. Show us the benefits of the good news of Christ, the access we have to you, the encouragement we receive from you, the trust we have in your providence. Thank you, Father. You're a good gift. You're a good God that gives good gifts to your children. For in a season of waiting, may our confidence grow stronger and stronger in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.